0: 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. We have seen in past messages that love is greater than all the spiritual gifts. As important as the gifts are, The gifts of the Spirit are are gifts that the Lord Jesus, King Jesus, bestows upon his church from the right hand of the Father. It is how Jesus fills the earth uh, with his presence, through the gifts he gives to men. As important as they are, the Apostle says there's even a greater way. Love is greater than all the gifts.
1: We have seen that
0: the person cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit being present in their life. We've seen that that is what sets us apart. The Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in the hearts of His people. And concerning the Spirit being in us, the fruit of the Spirit that we read in Galatians 5, we see that love is one of the fruit of the Spirit. We see patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to see kindness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And so, when we understand biblical kindness, and that's what we're discussing today, is love is kind. But do we have a biblical kindness is the question. And if we're going to be kind, we need to understand how it is that God shows his kindness to us. And therefore, we are to imitate, on a creaturely level, the best we can of the Creator's uh, stole of kindness to us. He's our example. And as you listen to this message today, see if your kindness and what your perception of kindness stacks up with what the Bible says is kindness. So if I were to ask you today about kindness, you would probably think back to some incident where someone has been kind to you. At least that's how you interpret it was an act of kindness. So what is it that they did that you perceive this person showed me kindness? And are we showing that kind of kindness to others? So when was the last time, think about it, when was the last time you think someone did a kind act for you? I'm expecting you to be thinking now. And as you think of when it was that someone did a kind act, what was it? Was it something? It could be something that someone said to you. Words of encouragement. You can show kindness this way. Or it was probably something they did for you, that you interpreted it as a kind act. Now, as I have said in previous messages, Love is the distinguishing trait of the Christian life. Everything revolves around love. Paul, again, he says the gifts are great, but they don't match up to love. Love is the greatest of all things. Jesus, remember, said that you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the scripture says that even then, that love can be reduced to one thing. As Galatians 5 says, love is the fulfillment of the law of God. And we see here that love is patient. We looked at that last week. And love is kind. So in this regard, you cannot be a loving person without being a patient person. Because love is patient. You can't be a loving person without being a kind person. Because the scripture says love is kind," And the best way to understand kindness is to look how the Bible uses the notion of kindness. And in this regard, how can we say in this regard, talking about love is patient, love is kind, And the importance of this is this. Remember the scripture says, how can we say that we love God whom we have not seen if we can't love those whom we have seen? That's 1 John 4, 20 and 21. We demonstrate the love of God and we demonstrate that we love God by the fact that we love our neighbor as ourselves. That's how we do it. So love is patient with people. Love is kind towards people. And so in this regard, when God loves us, he shows kindness to us. Actually, kindness is an aspect of the love of God in reality. For after all, the scripture says in our text that love is kind. So we need to look at Scripture to understand just what is kindness then. Because if we were just to go by 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says love is kind. You would say, okay, now what is next? I need, to, I need something to grab a hold of. What does it really mean to be kind? Well, that's what we're going to look at. What does the Scripture says what it means to be kind? How God is kind to us. So if we're going to look at kindness, we need to first start with God and how he shows kindness to us. So, turn with me to Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, when we begin to see how God shows kindness to us. Let me back up to verse 3. And do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things, and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now, notice it says in this that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. This is the first important thing that we need to understand, that when God shows kindness to us, he is expecting for it to have its effect in our lives. Now, he's dealing with humanity in general here, because he says when God shows his kindness, its intent is to bring sinners to repentance, to bring the ungodly to saving faith. That's its intent. Now, notice here that the terrible thing about it is, let's look at verse 5 as well, because that goes with our text here. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, God has shown sinners, hardened sinners, it says here, his kindness. For what purpose? To soften their hearts. That's what? To bring them to himself. To to bring them to repentance. To bring them to embrace Jesus. That's why God has shown his kindness. And the sad thing here is, God is only severe to us when the hardened heart fails to yield to God's kindness. See, God's kindness woos us to Himself. That's what it's intended to do. Why not, in that sense, if one is an unbeliever, why not give in, as it were, to God's wooing us and it's intended to have its effect. I have, We're going to see all that God does in His kindness. And He does all these marvelous things to the, for the For the sinner saying, come to me. Come to me. Look what I have done for you. It's the least that you could do. In light of all that I have done for you. Don't be a stubborn, rebellious individual anymore. Come to me. I have shown you this great kindness. So this means that God is kind to sinners because he wants it them to be brought to repentance it says here and so his kindness is designed to lead people to christ and if you were to look at the testimonies of people throughout the centuries and it's often a wonderful thing to see the testimonies of people what it is that finally brought them to jesus they realized all the things that God had done for them or how God had spared them from some tragic situation and worked out the circumstances and finally they were just overwhelmed with His kindness. And so when the the, the message went out, they responded. How is God kind to sinners? Because it says here, His kindness... Is designed to lead them to repentance. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And look at verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven... For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, by the way, when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He is not referencing the Old Testament. That's not what Jesus is referencing. What he's referencing is pharisaical misinterpretations and additions to the word of God. By the way, you can go to the Old Testament and you look at the scripture that Jesus quoted there. And loving your, na- your, your your enemy is found in the Old Testament. What happens is that the Pharisees had corrupted the word of God. And they were teaching something that the Old Testament never taught. Because it did teach to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how is it that God loves his enemies? And how is it that God shows kindness to his enemies? Well, for one, it says, he causes the sun to rise on everyone equally. And he sends his rain to water the crops of the unbelievers as well as the believers. He does good to all men in this respect. And therefore, everyone is the recipient of God's kindness in that respect. And that's designed to do what? To lead them to repentance. And then it says here, talking about his kindness, who is God doing this to? He's doing this to sinners, to enemies. That's who he's doing it to. He's loving his enemies. By the way, it says... In the scriptures, he has shown his kindness to his enemies. Now, who are the enemies of God? We all are in our state of unbelief. Romans 5.10 says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The scripture presents the case of mankind is in a state of enmity against the Holy God. We've transgressed His law. We deserve His condemnation. And God says, as the psalmist says, He's angry with the wicked all day long. And the scripture says that that we all go astray from birth. And so, in the fundamental sense, mankind, without Christ, is in a state of enmity, of rebellion against the holy God. And God, as the scripture says there in Romans, he views us as his enemies. But what has God done towards his enemies? He's shown kindness to them. That's what he's done. He gives them the sun, he gives them the rain, he gives all sorts of things. To everyone. Showing his kindness. He has loved us. So, what we need to understand there, one of the things about God's kindness is, it's extended to people who are his enemies. That's the extent of his kindness. You know, in this regard, as we've already said, he sends the sun to shine on their crops the rain to fall on the crops of the unbelievers. He's kind to his creatures all day long. You know, this is brought out in Acts chapter 14 verse 17. Let me just read it to you. It says, And yet he, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good in that he gave rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is what God has done to all of mankind. He's been kind to all people in that respect. I like to watch nature shows and in time-lapse photography. One of the things that shows how the creation is so dependent upon God. Uh, There's one scene that we saw that the plants, and it shows that when the sun comes up, all the plants begin to go like this. Turn and open up to the sun. And they realize where they get its nourishment. And then they wait not only to get the nourishment of the sun and all the scientific process of chlorophyll and the process of photosynthesis that has to go on the need of the sun. Otherwise, plants wouldn't grow and the plants don't grow. You and I would starve to death. And it says he gives the rains and the fruitful seasons to all people. Why? Designed to lead them to repentance. They will see His kindness and then respond accordingly. You know, God has shown kindness to His enemies by doing good to them. That's what the Scripture says. He does good to them. Even those who hate Him. You know, even the atheists who raise their fists in God's face, as it were, says. You don't exist. I have nothing to do with you. He doesn't destroy them. He still waters their crops. He still provides for them, even those who hate him. He has shown kindness. So the thing here is, when God shows kindness, he shows goodness to people. That's what the scripture reveals. Turn with me to Romans 11 and look at verses 21 to 22. Now, he's talking here about the Jews and the Gentiles in this great chapter of 11 of Romans. And it says in verse 21, For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you, referring to the Gentiles. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fail, severity. But to you, God's kindness. Kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Now, what do we see here? Notice here that kindness of God and the severity of God are contrasted. That's what they're... So when God is kind, it's the opposite of him being severe to us. But it does say he will be severe if we don't respond accordingly to his kindness. Now, in this regard here, in this section, who are the natural branches? Well, the natural branches were the Jewish nation, national Israel, the covenant people of God, who were given the covenants of promises, who were given the law of Moses, as Paul says, who were given all of these privileges. For what purpose? That they might respond in love to God. But what what was their response? They did not respond accordingly. And therefore, the nation was cut off. And yet, then God showed the kindness to the Gentiles, offered the gospel to the Gentiles, and they're brought in. Now, it says, if if God, it says, behold, the kindness of God and the severity of God. Was not God kind to the national Israel? Of course he was. We're going to see in in kind in what respect. Well, first of all, he chose them to be his people. And what is Deuteronomy 7? Because they were better than everybody else? No. Because they were more numerous than everybody else? No. It says because he just chose them. He showed grace to them. He picked out this group of people to be the recipients of his promises, his covenant, and therefore, as Isaiah says, all that God did, what did he expect when he sowed such wonderful things in their midst? That they would respond in love towards him. But they didn't. They didn't. You know, in this regard, what we see in this text is that God, not only does God show kindness to all men, believers and unbelievers, but we're also going to see the kindness becomes even more restrictive towards his elect. Towards his elect people. Because it says here, your kindness, he says, in this regard, leads them, uh, led the Gentiles to believe in him. He opened himself up to the Gentiles. And they embraced the gospel. And he showed kindness to them by what he did on their behalf in choosing them and brought them in as the unnatural branch, grafted them onto the tree. He didn't have to do that, did he? He didn't have to do that, but he did. That was an act of kindness. So we're going to see how the kindness of God moves from the general scope to even a more Specific scope, to the elect of God, God shows his kindness. Now, this kindness that leads to repentance, he shows his kindness to his elect by showing them grace and mercy. Did you know that that is an act of kindness that God showed us? What did we deserve, by the way? What does the scripture say we deserve? We deserve to perish in hell forever. That's what we deserve. And when he saves us by his grace and mercy, the Bible says he is showing kindness to us. But where do we find that? Well, turn to Titus 3 and we'll see where that's taught. Titus chapter 3. Let's begin at verse 3 through verse 7. For we also once were foolish... Ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Let's stop right there. That's not good, is it? That shows our condition. That shows our total depravity. I mean, we were a pitiful lot. We hated people. We were enslaved to our various lusts. We, we, we couldn't do anything to change our condition. Verse 4, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit which He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There you have it. We were a depraved people, but when the kindness of God came in its powerful saving effect through the Holy Spirit, regenerating our souls, God showed mercy. You see, the kindness of God towards His elect is the mercy He shows us in opening our hearts. Now, what does the Bible say in Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4? It says, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. They cannot see the glorious gospel of Christ. The minds of the unbelievers are blinded. They cannot see the gospel. But it says, but glory to God who in Jesus has opened our eyes. Has that sunk in to you? Has it really sunk in to you that the fact that you believe in Jesus was a sovereign act of God's kindness? Plain and simple. Of all the mass of humanity, we all deserve to be sent to hell. But all this mass, God came to you and He changed your heart. He showed you mercy. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. And when God showed you mercy, He showed His kindness to you. What greater example of kindness could there ever be than to give to undeserving people his wonderful work? There's no greater act of kindness. What we see here in this regard, he comes to us in this this kindness to us to bring us to himself. And you know the sad thing about it is, talking about natural Israel, and what God did in regard to them, what was it designed to do but to lead people to repentance? What did the people, I mean, when the, when the people were wandering in the wilderness, they needed food, right? They needed water, right? God gave them food, He even gave them manna from heaven every day, the sweet bread. And fed them. And when they were thirsty, he gave them water. He provided for all their needs. He showed goodness to them. But what does the scripture say? God was angry with them because they spurned him. It says they had a hardened heart. And despite all these wonderful things that God had done for them, they responded in unbelief. And therefore, the severity of God came upon them as a result. But you see, when God works in us, his kindness, when the kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us by his mercy. You know, Romans 3.12 says, there is none that are good, no, not one. By the way, the word there, I was reading the New American Standard Version, the word there for good, when it says no one is good, that is our Greek word that's translated everywhere else in the New Testament as the kindness of God. So, in other words, no one is kind. <laughs> Hold on here. I thought somebody is kind. No, not really. Now, remember what we said uh, about a good work. For something to be defined as a good work, it has to do what? It has to satisfy the glory of God, right? It has to be done for the glory of God. It has to be done according to the Word of God, the standard of God. It has to be done out of a love for Jesus. So you have to have the goal right, you've got to have the standard right, and you've got to have the motive correct. So I didn't say this. Scripture says there are none who do good. No, not one. There are none who show kindness, not in the kindness of God, Remember we saw in the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, it's possible to be the most benevolent person, to sacrifice your life for someone and not have love. Scripture says it's possible. God showed all this kindness to to Israel and they didn't respond. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I've got to start at verse 1 so we understand the whole context. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's a pretty sad condition, right? But then we have verse 4, but God. Isn't that wonderful? But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in what? In kindness. Toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You see, this corresponds very well with Titus 3. God shows his kindness towards his elect in saving people who don't Deserve to be saved, but he does. He shows us the richness, the richness of his kindness. The I mean, it's like God has this treasure box, the riches of his kindness, and he pulls out these jewels and say, "This is what I'll do for them. I, I'm going to come to them in saving grace." I know they don't care anything about me. And how many testimonies do you hear about people who don't care about uh, the state of their soul and God comes to them in a special way? I was in preparation for the book that's finishing. I was studying Daniel Baker, the great southern preacher, Presbyterian preacher of the 19th century. He had preached all over the south and he goes to Texas. And the first place he goes to Texas is to Galveston Island. And when he goes to Galveston Island, he asks permission of the commander. He says there was a a group of about 30 soldiers who were waiting for the Mexicans to come over. There was a lot of tension at the time between the United States and Mexico. So he asks permission to preach to the soldiers. And the commander says, go ahead. They didn't have a place to sit, so they all stood in attention to listen to the preacher. And as he preached, as he was going through his discourse, it says that for whatever reason, he decided to add something to his message, and he says, "I wonder if any of you men have a pious mother in the states who have been praying for you." It says as he was commenting on that, he looked at one soldier's and he says that the, the tears were streaming down his face. He saw it. And he says, "Young man, come come forward." And the soldier came forward, and he began to talk to him about Jesus personally. And he says, do you have a godly mother? And he says, the guy just burst out in tears. So loud, he said, you could hear him for 200 yards. (laughs) The guy was just bawling. And he says, yes, yes, I have a godly mother in Pennsylvania who's been praying for my lost soul. And on Galveston Island, the first place that Daniel Baker, the evangelist, goes, he leads this man to Christ. It says he came back to him two days later, and the man was rejoicing in Jesus. And Baker recounts in his autobiography, says, It's as if God sent me to Texas, and I would have gone to Texas only for this purpose, that the prayers of this godly mother was answered. And God, this is real, God sends his preachers, right? Wherever he wants. And what does the Scripture say about his preachers? their feet are beautiful because with their feet they bring glad tidings. And he says, the prayers of this mother in Pennsylvania sent me to Galveston Island to bring her son to Jesus. That was the kindness of God, wasn't it? The kindness of God that reaches out and uses the prayers of the saints to bring about His sovereign purposes. You know, the surpassing greatness of His grace to us in His kindness is what is so great. And our inheritance that He gives for us is so great. The kindness of God, it says here in in Ephesians 2, 7, the riches of His grace, uh, the surpassing riches of His grace in Christ Jesus throughout all eternity. You know that our inheritance that Peter talks about is so magnificent that we will never be uh, get over that inheritance throughout eternity, you know what? We will experience the kindness of God forever. Forever. That's the kindness of God. So God has shown His kindness to us in His grace and mercy. He's good to all men. Why? For what purpose? To soften their hearts. To woo them to... To him, he says, look what I've done for you. Look what I've done for you. I know you hate me, but I've sent the rain to your crops. I've done good uh, in many respects to your family. What to woo you to myself, brethren? We who have been shown the grace and mercy of God through His kindness has have then been commanded to show kindness as well. Turn with me to Colossians. See the reason I've spent the time to show you the kindness of God is to show you then what that kindness is and then how that is to be imitated in our lives on a creaturely level. Turn with me to Colossians 3:12 and so as those who have been chosen of God holy and beloved put on a heart of compassion kindness humility Gentleness and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another, whatever has a complaint against anyone. but just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. We are to put on a heart of kindness. Why? Because God has shown His kindness. You know, when God's forgiven your sins, He has shown kindness to you. Therefore, you are to return the kindness to others by forgiving them of their sins. And what does this uh, heart uh, heart of kindness look like? Well, let's turn to Romans 12. It was alluded to earlier when I mentioned to you Matthew 5. But look at Romans 12 and verses 19 to 21. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why are we not to, to show revenge? Why are we to feed our enemies? And give water to our enemies? Because God's done that to us. God's done that to us. He fed us. He gave us drink. He showed mercy. He didn't show revenge towards us. That's why we're to imitate Him. He loves His enemies. We ought to love our enemies. And And you say, you may think, well, you know, preacher, that's kind of hard. You just don't know the enemies I have. I got some really bad enemies. And you telling me I'm to love them? Yeah. You telling me I'm supposed to be kind to them? Yeah. So when they're hungry, I give them some food, I send over some thing, when a disaster strikes their family, and you say, Well, they got what they deserve. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So it happens to them. Do you you rejoice in their fall? Well, the Scripture says you're not to rejoice in the fall of your enemy. You know what David's response? You know, the amazing thing in the Scripture is that David was the one who says, I I hate my enemies. I loathe them as God loathes them. His enemies are my enemies. And therefore, in in a sense, we, we love and hate our enemies at the same time. We hate them in the sense that we want to see their action spoiled, we don't want to see their agenda take place, so we hate it in that sense. But then David says, when God sends his judgment upon them, Proverbs 24 says, we are not to rejoice when they fall. So think about the person who you think deserves God's wrath above. Think of some cause of wickedness and some activist in this. You say, you know, God just needs to get them. Think about that person, and let's say they are in an accident. Are we to be happy about it? Well, Scripture says no. Proverbs 24 says don't rejoice when they fall. Now, I may rejoice in the fact that righteousness is done, but I don't rejoice in their personal calamity. You know what David says in Psalm 35 towards his enemies? And he had plenty of enemies. Saul was out to try to kill him. He had plenty of enemies, and, and David says, when my enemy fell, it says, I wept for him as one who loses his own mother. Think about that. Your mother is dear to you, right? And if you lose your mother, that's a deep blow. David says, when my enemy fell, I wept for them as one who loses his own mother. Wow. You know the kindness of God. God is kind towards his enemies. He feeds them, he gives them water. So are we. So are we to do to our enemies. So if God, here's the point. If God has shown kindness to us, we need to show kindness to others. Even our enemies. Turn to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This is a well known passage, often quoted. It's truth is so good. Micah 6 says, He has told you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he requires of us. Of all the things he could have said, He says to love kindness. Why should we love kindness? Because God has shown us the kindness in an immeasurable way. That's why. That's why we're to love kindness. So in this regard, one of the persons who was known in the New Testament for her great acts of kindness. Someone here is named after her. Her name Tabitha, or the Greek, Dorcas. Turn with me to this passage. Turn to Acts 9. Now let's look at this woman, Tabitha. Verse 36 and following. Now in Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it came about at the time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, entreating him, do not delay to come to us. And Peter arose and went with them, And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him weeping. Now, why were they weeping? They showed him all the tunics and the garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. In other words, they showed all the kind acts that she was known for. And they just wept. Because now was dead, this godly woman who showed kindness to all these people. But Peter sent them out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And it came about that when he stayed many days in Joppa with a certain tanner, Simon. You know, in this regard, she, Tabitha, who had been known for her life of kindness, guess what? God sends Peter to do what? To show to the kind person one of the greatest acts of kindness you could ever imagine. He raises her from the dead. God remembers those who are kind. And to this godly woman known for her continual acts of kindness God gives back to her an act of kindness of immeasurable value Now this is also taught turn with me to Psalm 41 Look at Psalm 41 verses 1 through 3 How blessed is he who considers the helpless the Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. And he shall be called blessed upon the earth. And do not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness thou dost restore him to health. You know, people who show acts of kindness, they don't necessarily do it to get some reward. But you know what God does? He remembers them all. He remembers all these kinds of acts. And then he responds in like fashion. And it says, Those who consider the helpless God will deliver them. When they're sick, God comes and shows them kindness. Kindness is shown in acts of goodness, brethren, shown to other people. And in showing Kindness, we also, that it means we show pity to those who are pitiful. Like the Good Samaritan. You know, the story of the Good Samaritan is a great story of kindness. How so? uh, You got the story here of a man beaten by robbers and left for dead by the roadside. And then it says a priest goes by and them, doesn't want to get defiled. A Levite goes by, doesn't do anything. And But who goes by but the low down in the minds of the Jews, the Samaritan of all people. You mean to tell me the hero of the story is the half-breed Samaritans? Yeah, that's the, the hero here. What does this Samaritan do? It says he binds up the wounds, puts them on his Means of transportation takes him to the inn. The inn uh, houses him, pays for his lodging. Tells the innkeeper, you know, if you need more money when I come back, I'll give you what you need. And you know how Jesus ends this whole thing. Jesus told the story, and he asked the question: Who proved to be a neighbor? To this man. That was Jesus' question. Was it the Levite? Was it the priest? Or was it the Samaritan? Who proved to be a neighbor to the man? And then the response was, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, then go and do the same. Go and do the same. The kind person sees a need and feels it. Goes to expense to feel the need because he or she cares. That's kindness. When you show kindness, it shows that you care for people. In other words, brethren, <clears throat> the Christian life is marked by kindness, or it should be. It is one of the fruit of the Spirit, it is one of the fruit of being Christian. And on judgment day, this was. The standard that will be used to determine whether you really were justified by faith was whether you showed kindness. Really? That's right. It all boils down to whether you showed kindness. Turn with me to, to Matthew 25. Now again, this is not teaching work salvation. It's just simply teaching that if you have been justified by faith, you demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. It's there. Turn to Matthew 25. And Jesus, this is judgment day, he's got all the nations gathered before him, and he says. Verse 31 and following. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, and He will sit on His glorious throne and the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my Father You inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. Now, what was the standard? Four, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Brethren, all those are acts of kindness. Right? They're all acts of kindness. You see, if God has saved you, He has shed abroad in your heart the Holy Spirit. And therefore, the fruit of the Holy Spirit of kindness will be befitting you. That doesn't mean we're all perfect, but the thing about it is Christians are to be loving people, And to be loving means you show kindness. And if somebody's hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you you give them drink. If they're in prison, you go to them. If they're naked, if they need shelter, you help them out. It's an act of kindness. Why do you do it? Because God showed you kindness. Don't you think that's the least thing you could do in return? To the kindness of God in saving you by his grace and mercy. It's the least that you and I could do. The least. So I got to ask you some painful questions. Is your life marked by kindness? Really? When was the last time that you did an act of kindness to someone? I'm not doubting, I'm just asking you to ask yourself, when was the last time you did an act of kindness to someone? According to the scripture has defined kindness now. When was the last time you treated other Christians with kindness? When was the last time you did an act of kindness to your mother? Now you're expected on this day to be kind to your mother, but I'm not talking about one day of the year. I'm talking about the other days of the year. What kind of act of kindness have you done to your mother, children? Think about what kindness is: grace and mercy and forgiveness, uh, servanthood, seeing a need and, and meeting it. That's what kindness is, so what was the last time you served your mother. When was the last time you showed kindness to your father? When was the last time you showed kindness to your sibling? <laughs> your brother your sister? Brother, the Christian life, you know, I talk about doctrines. Remember I said that love is the greatest of all the doctrines? It is the greatest of all the doctrines in Scripture. And love is patient. Love is kindness. And, and, and since Judgment Day, it's all going to come down to this of acts of kindness. And notice that the righteous weren't aware that they were doing all these things. See, they're surprised. Lord, what did we, we don't remember seeing you hungry and feed you. We don't remember this. We don't remember you uh, coming to us in prison. So what that shows is that they were showing kindness and they were unconscious of it. They just wanted to do As I've said, in your concern for others and, and meeting needs, or someone needs help and you, and you sent, them, sent them some money, you showed acts of kindness. Well, like I said, you wrote a letter to Hannah Overton or you visited her. I mean, that's an act of kindness to someone who was in prison. There, there are so many different ways that we show kindness to people. So the righteous are not necessarily conscious of doing this, but I want to know as well if you consciously sought to to do good to various people. Husband showing act of kindness to your wife, and wife showing acts of kindness to your husband, and likewise across the board. It all comes down to showing kindness. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's the essence of Christianity. Love is the essence of our faith. And love is kind. It's patient with people. And you know why you show kindness? Because God showed you kindness when He could have easily left you in your sins. But He didn't. And therefore, show kindness. Let us pray.